I had a dream. I don't normally tell dreams, uh, not in the context of a teaching, but this was more than a dream. I saw people walking through a wilderness area. Some, somehow in the dream, the wilderness was not really wilderness. It was prosperous and had provision in it, but it was a wilderness, which I think meant that uh, God sees the Babylonian system of the present age as a terrible wilderness that he wants to bring his people through safely. And these people who I was not related to and didn't know and didn't recognize, numbers numbers of them, large numbers of them, were walking towards a huge pyramid. We entered the pyramid, and I was aware that I was just an observer. And woven into the structure of this gigantic, what looked like granite pyramid, over in the corner was a giant being. And this being uh, had dead, dark eyes. And as the people came under and began to look at him and began to relate to him, he seemed to emerge out of the building itself and take on uh, arms and legs and torso of his own. And as they looked at him and seemingly related to him, worshipped him, something, can't really say they were worshipping him, they were just relating to the pyramid and to him, his eyes became blazingly alive with fire and gleeful, kind of a gleeful expression on if you can call that face an expression, it was just stone granite idol. But I knew he was a manifestation of Baal. And as the people uh, were relating to him, he was stomping on them like ants. I knew that the pyramid was the symbol of the entire culture. Uh, it was uh, the symbol, the, the pyramid symbol from occultism. Uh, the, the present age, so forth. Babylon, not that Babylon is related to pyramids, but Egypt is related to pyramids. Egypt is a symbol of the world system. And the, the sensation that came to me was, come out from among them, my people, so that you be not partakers of their plagues uh, and, and you don't come under their deception. And uh, that, that was it. But when I woke from the dream, I was I had the whole issue of Baal Baal Peor on my mind, the worst tragedy in the history of Israel. And I, w I had this phrase in my head, there is coming a great divide. So I want to talk for the time we've got together today here on the subject of praying through the great divide. And I want to begin in Genesis chapter 13, and then we'll go from there, because in order to begin dealing with the whole subject of the great divide, I can't just take it up in its end-time manifestation. We have to go back to the beginning with Abraham and his confrontation with the king of Sodom. It says in Genesis 13, verse 13, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and made camp in the direction facing towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Now that phrase itself is a, uh, a Torah reference to the wickedness that preceded the flood of Noah. And the, the Hebrew concept here is, uh, this is a, re a reference. This is how wicked they were. They were recreating the wickedness that brought the flood. Then it says the king of Sodom uh, in, in chapter 14 of uh, Genesis. It says the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram after Abram had returned from the slaughter of the kings where Abram had gone and rescued 
those who had been kidnapped. And then it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. I mean, the, the, the uh, scripture here is very terse and uh, doesn't go into a lot of detail. But what you have here is the king of Sodom wanting to reward Abram. And out of the corner of Abram's eyes is, is approaching this, this being that the Bible refers to as without father, without mother, without beginning of days, nor end of life, a priest forever. Melchizedek is the king of Salem. Whether he is a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus or whether he merely symbolizes the priesthood, great high priesthood of Jesus, doesn't matter. The point is, he is God's man in this situation where Sodom is offering Abram everything from uh, riches to human beings as sex slaves. Melchizedek offers bread and wine. And uh, it says, he spoke to Abram and blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham paid him tithes from all that he had. You have at the very beginning of history a, a, a separation of two, two points of view. You have two cities, Sodom and Jerusalem. You have two kings, the king of Sodom and the king of Salem. And you have two choices to take the things of the world, uh, the riches and the materialism and idolatry of Sodom, along with its sexual perversion, or the simplicity of bread and wine from the hand of the king of Salem. This division is manifested at the beginning and will be fully manifested at the close of the age. But as we go on down through the history of Israel, we come to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, and uh, I'll finish at verse 8. Moses makes a reference to the horror that took place at Baal Peor. And he says to the people of Israel as they are about to enter the land and take possession of it, your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all those who followed Baal Peor, the Lord has destroyed from among you. Why would that be? What is it about Baal Peor that is exceedingly wicked? There's a direct relationship to Baal Peor and what we just read about the king of Sodom. Baal Peor is a, a reference to a particular Baal cult that worshipped under a mountain called Peor. Now this word Peor means a place of uh, cleavage or a place of uh, open, an open place, a hole. Literally, what you have here is the Lord of the whole. And I, you have to forgive me. I don't want to go into the details here that I, I really would need to go into to explain the unutterable horror and wickedness of what Israel did. There are Baals throughout the Old Testament, all the offspring of this original wickedness. But what Israel did at Baal Peor has never been properly grasped because in order to explain the horror of it, you would have to talk about things that are so disgusting, so outside the realm of even the most perverse. Uh, the story is told among the rabbis of a great pagan king who went to worship at Baal Peor when he arrived and saw the way they worshipped, rather than worship with them, he ordered all the worshippers to be slaughtered, and he, he killed the Baal Peor worshipper. This was a pagan king that did, that did this. So uh, God says to the people through Moses, your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. And those who followed Baal Peor, the Lord has destroyed from among you. 
purged out of you. 24,000 of them. But you did cleave to the Lord your God. That means you glued yourself. That's the same word used later on when it says a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. It's the Hebrew word in modern Hebrew for glue. You, you, you stuck yourself. You held, your, you, you held yourself to the Lord your God all the while he's holding on to you too. But that's the reason you're alive, every one of you. Each one of you specifically. Each one of you this day are alive because you saw this, this magnet of worldly lust that was beyond anything imaginable and the pull of it and the darkness of it and the grotesqueness of it. And you glued yourself to the Lord your God. I'll tell you, if that's not a word for this day, I don't know what is. Because the worship of Baal Peor and the, the, the activities of it are now becoming part of the normal, if you can use the word normal, entertainment display of most of the world. Uh, a, a great deal of what goes on in so-called pop music is nothing but the recreation of the worship of Baal. I don't mean accidental. I mean they're doing it. They're doing it on purpose. They know exactly what they're doing, and they're constructing it that way on purpose. Along with uh, that, the same practices of Baal, the worship of Baal, uh, were placed in a little booklet called the Little Black Book. In 2005, that little black book was printed by Massachusetts tax money for the purpose of handing out to school children uh, after same-sex marriage was ratified by the Massachusetts government. And in that, quote, little black book are all the practices uh, of Baal Peor so that children can learn how to do it. That's... That's where we are. But God says through Moses here in Deuteronomy 4, you have cleaved to the Lord your God, and that's why you're alive, every one of you, this day. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me, Moses says, so that you know how to do in the land when you enter in to possess it. So keep them and do. That's what it says in Hebrew, do. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the pagan nations. Now, you zoom forward through history to Daniel chapter 11, verse 32 and 33, speaking of uh, their confrontation with uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, who is a, a precursor to the Antichrist of the end of the age. And it says of the people who face that invasion of Antichrist, of course, he, 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 was, he wouldn't be Antichrist uh, in that period of history, but he's certainly anti-God. Anti and since Christ is God, you get the point. But those that do wickedly against the covenant shall be seduced by flatteries, it says. But those who know their God shall be strong and do. Same phrase. So... Uh, the idea here is that those who are being seduced by this uh, Antichrist figure are being seduced by the flatteries of the world, the flesh, the devil, and those who know their God, who cling to their God, who are glued to their God, shall be strong, and because of their union with him, they will be able to do. The New American Standard Version says, they shall, they shall be able to firmly resist. Or the New English translation says, they will be able to stand firm and take action. Now, take action against what? Uh, when it says uh, they were seduced by flatteries, the Hebrew word there is shanef. It means to profane or to mix or to adulterate. What they're standing against when it says that these people were seduced by flatteries, is that they were standing against a mixture that had come about because of political intrigues that had opened the gates of Israel to whatever came in 
and they were beginning to mix the worship of Yahweh with the worship of of uh, pagan gods. Daniel speaks both of the fight for Jewish freedom from Antiochus, but he also is telescoping prophetically into the future and is addressing the final ultimate battle of light and dark at the end of the age. So the same call for them is calling to us to be strong and to obey, to do whatever we find is necessary for us to do to take our stand in the last battle. Now, knowing what to do is dependent on accurate information. We we are having a, a misinformation overload uh, in our day, and people are exhausted by it rather than helped by it. Whether it's dealing with the scores of dangers in our own country caused by our own countrymen, or the infiltration of even greater dangers from foreign powers, or the long and growing list of imminent dangers around the world brought on both by political intrigues and also natural disasters or even supernatural disasters. There's no way anybody anybody can keep up with all this. Uh, there's too much information, always too much information. I got a, an, an email uh, just a, a day or two ago from a very trusted uh, friend who's an educator and a godly man and uh, uh, telling us about uh, an event taking place in Japan right now, as, as you hear this message, that uh, approximately 40 million Japanese may have to be uh, evacuated from mainland Japan. And uh, Japan is in uh, negotiations with the Russian government in the hopes of getting the what's called the Kuril Islands away from Russia and given back to Japan. The Russians took it from Japan, took these islands from Japan uh, right after World War II. It's 56 islands in a, 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 a chain of islands. Uh, the reason for this is because the nuclear reactor that was damaged in the tsunami back in March of 2010 is not being contained and it is increasing in danger and is about to um, create uh, something far worse than Chernobyl. And this is not being broadcast. You have to dig it out. And yet, when I did begin to dig around for some more information about it, there was the anti-information, misinformation uh, end of it that says this is nothing but a, a... a tactic by certain special interests to get some other things done that have nothing to do with the real event they claim is about to happen. Well, that's just one example of, of dozens that come across my desk every week. Information, then countered by misinformation. You know, uh, you go to Scopes sometimes to find out if a story is right. Well, I got a question for you. How do you know Scopes is right? I have information here that tells me that Scopes is uh, controlled by left-wing interests. So how do you, who's going who's gonna to scope out Scopes? Well, from a political point of view, it seems clear that those who wish to destroy the freedom and the laws of our Western civilization are doing so by what they call overloading the system. In other words, making it too difficult to focus on any one atrocity so that the average citizen, because he cannot deal with everything, ends up dealing with nothing until it's too late for him to act at all. So we must find our marching orders from the Holy Spirit and from the Word of God. How do we rule in life? Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says, We rule in life by Christ Jesus. And we rule in life by prayer. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 says and and 6 that because of the shed blood of Christ who has made us kings and priests to our God, our kingship and our priesthood is uh, in our union with Christ. Kings rule and priests intercede. Priests speak to God on behalf of men and speak to men on behalf of God. We are to rule world affairs and world circumstances on our knees. 
Now, before I get into that, and I don't even know that I'll be able to pursue that com- completely in the short time that we've got, but I'll do my best, and we'll take it up later. But uh, you understand, f- to, to be able to recognize where we are, God is judging the nations. The night Derek Prince died, a friend of mine was with him in Jerusalem. And he, in conversation, he said, Derek, where, where are we? And Derek said, God is fulfilling his promise to Israel and judging the nations. We are entering now into the period where God will fulfill his covenant promise to Abraham and in the process of doing that, judge the nations. And the judgment of the nations has to do with the way they are positioned in response to Israel, and more specifically to Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 14 deals with that. We don't have time to look at it now. But for us who are called to, to be kings and priests in the midst of these events, I'll tell you what we're not called to do. We're not called to passively observe and uh, just have uh, excited, uh, giddy feelings over prophetic events that we're passively watching. We're called to cooperate with God in the coming of his kingdom on the earth. So our information needs to be coming from the Lord. You know, C.S. Lewis said he never read the paper because he figured if anything important enough happened, he would hear about it. Otherwise, the paper was full of propaganda and lies, and it didn't matter which party was in control of the uh, government at the time. And uh, so Psalm 1, verse 1 through 4 says, Blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. The the word scornful means those who mock. I I don't know of any people on the face of the earth who that describes better than the news, so-called news media. The scornful, those who mock. But His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So those of us who are united with Messiah uh, need to be getting our war instructions from his word on our knees by his spirit. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18 and 19 says of the kings of Israel who were prototypes in uh, of who we're to be as kings and priests, it shall be that when the king sits upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write a copy of this Torah, this, this book, And it shall stay with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, in order that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this Torah, and to follow these statutes in order to do them. That's the same phrase. You read in order to do, so that his heart will not be lifted up above his brother's so that he will not turn aside to the left or to the right, so that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, and so that his children will carry on this obedience after him. So, do you see uh, the relationship here? That we're to get our wisdom from the Word of God. I've had conversations with a number of people lately, just lately, uh, more than normal, people who are frightened, people who are overwhelmed by trying to watch all of this stuff. Well, I'm telling you, you don't need to be watching all of this stuff. What good does it do for you to be aware all the time of what North Korea is doing, what Cuba is doing, what the Sudan is doing, what the uh, Muslim Brotherhood is doing, what Hezbollah is doing? I mean, monitoring all of that is going to do just exactly what I see it doing to people, overwhelming them and causing them to operate in fear. There's a wisdom and genius in the way God has written Scripture because God ordained the universe so that his ultimate will will be accomplished as it's revealed in prophetic Scripture while at the same time allowing enough room for specific events to be up, kind of up for grabs. 
depending on the obedience or disobedience of his people. We are told, for instance, to occupy till he comes. We're told to stand in the gap so that the land will not be destroyed. We are called to make intercession so that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. We're told if we who are called by his name humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our own wicked ways, he will hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. It seems to be, to me, a capital mistake to dispensationalize all these scriptural commands to pray for specific redemptive work to be done in the earth, as if all these verses were only meant for who they were addressed to. So by the time you finish reading scripture, you don't have anything left hardly but the cover in John 3.16. Yes, scripture prophesies that evil men will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It, it prophesies also that men of righteousness will be like the stars and will shine brighter and brighter until they reach perfect noonday. And uh, as the night gets darker, the stars shine brighter. So the darker it gets, the more we shine. A common statement I hear from people a great deal lately is that the United States and also Great Britain are not specifically mentioned in prophetic scripture. Now, I happen to think, by the way, that they actually are referred to in Ezekiel 38. But what if they are or are not? They are mentioned in the word nations. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Go into all nations and make disciples of all nations. God will gather all nations before him. America and Great Britain and all the other nations are included in that. So if there is no specific word about the role that our nation plays in the end of the age, then it seems to me that means we can make our destiny according to how we relate to and respond to the word of God. If the entire nation does not follow God, then I will see to it that my part of the nation gets the invitation. If my part of the nation rejects the invitation, then I will make sure at least that me and my house follow the Lord. For I have many great promises in Scripture that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the point is, God has both predestined world events to come to a specifically unalterable end with certain details spelled out as being unalterable. Yet he has made the world so that we do not fully see that predestined event clearly until it has already happened. In the meantime, we are told to live, trust, take territory, occupy, pray for God's full kingdom to come on the earth. This truth has been horribly deformed by a theology that treats end-time events as a spectator sport that we simply sit back and watch. And for some, and thankfully not all, so please be patient with me, I'm not painting with a broad brush, but for many people, too many people, the idea of an any-minute rapture has produced a passivity in the face of evil that has allowed evil to grow and has propagated a horrible, unchristian indifference towards the stewardship of the earth and all such related issues. So let me just speak a moment about what we do know, what we can know for certain, what we can look back and already have seen unfold, so we're certain about it. I wish we had time to study the whole book of Daniel uh, together, uh, where the, the book of Daniel is the great revelation of what happens in a period called the time of the Gentiles. But I'll just have to make reference to it and hope that you'll pursue it on your own. In Luke chapter 21, verse 25, it says that the Jews will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentile nations until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So, the, based on what I just read to you, there is a period of history of the nations dominating the world that will eventually come to its end. Israel has been dominated by the Gentile nations ever since Nebuchadnezzar took them away to Babylon. Now, there's a direct 
line that you can draw from Luke 21 to Revelation chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, where it says, A reed was given to me like a rod, and the angel said, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those that worship therein. But the court, which is outside the temple, cast out. The, the Greek, the King James says, leave it out. But the Greek is more forceful. It says, cast that part out. Do not measure it. For it is given to the Gentiles, and the holy city shall be trodden underfoot for 42 months. Now, in the natural, that's about how long it was for the Roman army to trod Jerusalem underfoot. And I have read a lot of the historicist view about these things, that view that says all these events that the Bible talks about concerning the end of the age really is only referring to the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, and it all was finished and taken. it all took place then. That's why Jesus said um, the, the generation that sees uh, these that sees all, all this happen will not pass away till it's all fulfilled. Well, there's so many holes in that way of thinking that it becomes obvious as you read Scripture, so I won't try to take time to address it now, but quite obviously a lot of what is spoken of prophetically did happen at the destruction of Jerusalem, but a great deal more cannot possibly have been uh, making reference to the destruction of Jerusalem. Romans chapter 11, verse 25 says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you become wise in your own conceits, which is exactly what the church did in disregarding its Jewish roots. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So, according to Paul, there is something called the fullness of the Gentiles, which will eventually come into the kingdom. And at that point, uh, God will begin to deal with the earth in, in judgment and bringing everything to, the, to its close and the beginning of the, the kingdom. So, you begin to understand what Derek was referring to that final night of his time on earth when he said God is fulfilling his promise to Israel and he is judging the nations. We are entering now into the time of the Gentile judgment where the nations will eventually be brought before the, the judgment seat of God in a final great confrontation. Psalm 2 speaks of it. Why do the nations so furiously rage together? Why do the people imagine a vain, foolish thing? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Messiah, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that dwells in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold his enemies in contempt. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and trouble them in his sore displeasure. See, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. See, there's an irony here. All the nations of the earth ranting and raving and screaming and yelling and rattling their sabers and making their big threats against what? Tiny little Israel. It's not Israel they hate. It's the God of Israel they hate. I have set my king in answer to all this on my little tiny hill of Zion. I mean, Zion is just a little pitcher's mound outside Jerusalem. Nothing impressive about Mount Zion in the flesh. What's impressive is that God has set his Messiah over it. And the Lord will declare the decree, this is my son. This day I have begotten him. Obviously, this is not referring to God the Father having created Jesus. Jesus is not a created being. His begottenness has to do with the declaration of his inheritance. Ask of me, the Father says, and I will give you nations. I will give you nations as your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth as your possession. Haggai says the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. 
The kingdoms of this world, Revelation 11 says, have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Revelation 7 says, I looked and behold, there was a, a multitude no man could number from every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation. Psalm 2 goes on to say, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise, therefore, you kings. Be well instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and worship with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed off the earth when his wrath is only slightly kindled. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Haggai chapter 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, in just a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. Joel 3, 1 through 3, see, in those days at the end when I shall bring again the inheritance of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will put them on trial there for my people and my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered, and they have parted my land. They have cast lots for my people, and they have traded boys as prostitutes, and a, a girl for a jug of wine. This is very literal stuff here. One of the characteristics of the enemies of Israel uh, is the, the the buying and trading of children in sex slavery. Uh, it, it wearies me when I hear well-meaning but ignorant people try to uh, celebrate the superior moral ground of Islam when those who work among them in many parts of the world know uh, 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 quite a... And that doesn't mean that all Muslims are pedophiles. But uh, Islam was founded by a pedophile. And uh, the mistreatment of children sexually, especially men with boys, is so common that in the uh, Victorian era, in Great Britain, if you were uh, on the, the prowl for that kind of sexual perversion, you would go to the East End and ask around for who handles the Arab vice. This is Joel 3 says, makes a specific reference to it here. Verses 9 and following, Proclaim among the nations, prepare for war. Wake up your mighty men, let all the men of war gather. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all you nations, and gather to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come down, for the press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Again, if you want a cross-reference to this, you read uh, in the Revelation concerning um, the place where the, the blood will be uh, like the blood of grapes in a in a wine press, and uh, the blood will be as high as the horses' bridles. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars will withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake but the Lord shall be the hope. That word hope in Hebrew is the word for repair. He's a repairer, a restorer. Shall be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. The hope of his people and the strength of Israel. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. So there we have the large picture of where we are and where we're headed. We already do know Jerusalem was trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles were brought to a close. That when, so when was Jerusalem no longer under Gentile control? Uh, the Six-Day War, first in 1947 when Israel became a nation, then in 1967 when uh, Israel uh, successfully took the land back from its invaders, uh, 
1973 in the Yom Kippur War, more territory was taken. Uh, look, I know that we have some people who listen to this uh, study who, who are of Arab extraction. Some of them are Arab, Christian Arabs. And I want to say to you with all respect and love, I understand to some degree. I understand as much as a man who lives geographically removed from the battle and the struggle and the heartache that's going on politically right now over this issue. I understand as much as I can without being in it how you may feel. But I say with all respect to you that you must bow to the revelation of Scripture and not allow your opinions to be formed by politics and certainly not by Islamic politics. You dare not. Uh, this does not mean that everything Israel does is right. And, and I want to tell you, Almighty God, who is just and righteous, will judge righteously every unjust action of Jewish people where they are behaving in ways that God abhors. But the propaganda that is so often portrayed that Israel is killing children and, and the very opposite of what's going on, and that Israel puts uh, makes targets of, of uh, Arab children, when we know that it is the Arabs who are putting their children out as targets so they can have photo ops in order to make propaganda uh, against Israel. Please don't be duped by such foolishness. Please don't be seduced. Then Jesus goes on to say in Luke 21, uh, we looked at the, the big picture uh, of, of what the nation, I mean, we've just taken an overview quickly of the big picture. Now, what about the smaller picture? Uh, in Luke 21, verse 24 and following, Jesus says all this will go on until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And then verse 25, then there'll be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. I just described one of those perplexities. There are many, many unfixable, unanswerable, perplexing conundrums, unanswerable puzzles related to many, many issues. In fact, almost every international struggle going right now doesn't seem to have an answer. There's no, there's no way to undo it, no way to untangle it, no way to correct it. Uh, Jesus says here that this, this time of perplexity will be so frightening as, as the people of the earth notice the roaring of the sea, the roaring of the oceans. This has both a literal and a symbolic meaning, a literal meaning with the tsunamis and the other issues of the earth, geo, uh, the, 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 the geophysical turmoil of the earth, which is related to Romans chapter 8, that the, the earth is groaning, travailing, longing to be delivered from the bondage of corruption that's been placed on it by Adam's sin, it longs to be liberated into the, re the freedom of the resurrected sons of God. So the earth is groaning and we groan, Paul says in Romans 8. But then there's also a symbolic relation to this sea roaring, and that's found in Revelation 13, where the Antichrist, the beast, rises up out of the raging sea. A picture of, uh, of the, the Antichrist forces of the nations gathering together and putting forth this Antichrist, this counterfeit peacemaker, counterfeit savior, counterfeit, counterfeit uh, deliverer. Men's hearts will fail them from fear, from looking after those things that are coming on the earth. Notice this cannot possibly be referring to the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, it's referring to a worldwide cataclysm. You see the same thing in Revelation chapter 3, uh, where Jesus speaking to the churches uh, in Revelation, he makes reference to the fact, let me just read it to you here quickly. 
Revelation chapter 3, verse 8 and following. He that has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? These things says he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, who opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. No man can shut it, for you have a little strength and have not denied, have kept my word and have not denied my, my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept the word of my patience. I also will keep you. The Greek here is ek. It could be from or in. I will keep you from it or I will keep you in it. Either way, you're kept by the Lord. I will keep you from that hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try those who dwell upon the earth. So this is a word to the whole world. This, this, you know, you don't, you know, you don't need a, a big theological study to figure that out. I mean, what contradicts the historicist view that everything happened at the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. more than the world we are living in right now? So I, that's why I really don't spend, a, I don't want to spend a lot of time debating that issue. My point in this time together is to show you a lot of Scripture, to let the Holy Spirit teach you whatever it is He wants to teach you out of those Scriptures. But the, the thing that I'm hoping we'll receive from it, if nothing else, is our awareness that in the midst of all this turmoil, and it's going to be more, far more than we have now, in uh, the midst of all this perplexity, in the midst of all this frightening uh, upheaval and all these terrible events, God is sovereignly watching over it in order to bring about the end of Gentile tyranny, the restoration of his covenant relationship with Abraham's children, and the coming forth of his kingdom through his church and the birthing of a new age out of the horror of the old one. And in the midst of that, we swim around in the move of the Spirit, occupying till he comes, serving, loving, ministering, uh, uh, establishing, building. You, you, you get that? And, and so you don't have this frightened view, nor do you have this passive, I'm going to fly out of here any minute view. Uh, you, you have a view that is full of life and light and hope and purpose and vision and determination. They who know their God shall be strong and do. And what will we do? We will take our stand against that perverse mixture that seeks to adulterate and therefore uh, poison and ruin the true message. Uh, and we do that not by preaching and haranguing and sticking our finger in the face of uh, broken people, but by bringing light and life and hope and healing, uh, not only by our message, but by the way we live. Then he says here, uh, one of my favorite verses when these things all begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, your redemption draws near. Then in the next section, he says, look at the fig tree and all of the trees. Now, what that refers to, the fig tree is a symbol of Israel. And uh, all the trees are all of the other nations. He says, behold the tree, fig tree, and then all of the trees. When they all begin to shoot forth their leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise, when you see the nations moving into position, know that the kingdom of God is near at hand. This generation will not die out till all these things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will not pass away. So this word uh, begins with Nebuchadnezzar taking Israel into captivity. 
it is intensified by the attack of uh, Titus in 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem. This puts Jerusalem under the Gentile foot until the, the time of the Gentiles begins to be over. When you see these things begin, then the generation that sees these things begin will not pass away until all is fulfilled. Um, I'm not saying I've got the right interpretation of all this. I, I, I'm not even really interested in having all the right interpretations. If the Lord doesn't come until my grandchildren are my age now, that that's okay with me. I mean, that's that's I'm going to be alive somewhere watching and rejoicing and continuing my work. And uh, those who go on ahead of us, they work on that side for the same coming kingdom that we who are left here continue to work for on our side of things. So I hope in a, a less than an hour, I've been able to give you some scriptural overview, not a detailed interpretation. I, I study everybody's point of view. I, I, I appreciate them. I learn from all of them. I don't think any of us are correct on everything. We're very much like the blind men touching the elephant. One's got a trunk. One's got a tail. One's leaning up against its side. One's got its tusk. And one's got its leg. And we all think that an elephant is like a hose pipe or a rope or a tree or a wall or a spear, and it, and they all excommunicate each other, saying that they all have false doctrine. And when we all come together, we'll find out that everybody had a piece of the puzzle. And we learn from each other. But see, what's, what matters is not theological correctness on, on prophetic uh, theory, but whether we are committed to Christ and, and loving one another and manifesting his character and kingdom in the earth. And so Jesus closes this word in Luke 21 with this message to all of us. In the face of all the things that I've just said, said to you, he says, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts become overcharged with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of daily living. Or what I might say is, Beware lest you become overcome by self-medication and the spiritual stupor such self-medication puts you in, whether it's food or alcohol or, or even uh, uh, medicine, psychotropic medicine or entertainment or whatever it is you use to avoid life. He says, beware of that so that you're not, you're not in a place where that day comes upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always, so that you may be strong enough to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. Now that last sentence, with all the stuff that we've talked about this hour, this to me may be the most important for the present moment. Watch, therefore, and pray always in order that you may be strong enough to escape all these things that shall come to pass. What we have here is a dichotomy between all these things that shall come to pass, which refers to the unalterable future, the predestined determinate counsels of God that cannot be altered by man or devil, and the possibility of you being able to pray your way through it and to escape its ramifications for, for, for bad and to end up standing before the Son of Man, which is a, a phrase referring to the final victory and uh, the conquering of evil and the restoration of all things. That's what it's talking about. It's not just sailing through a terrible time and hope you land on your feet before the Lord. That's not what it means. 
Pray to be strong enough to escape that which is predestined in order to stand when it all falls apart. There are some things that are going to happen. Yes, there's no way around it. Evil men are going to get more evil. Seducers are going get going to get more seducing. Supernatural demonic power is going to manifest false miracles and false wonders. The world is going to be seduced by it. Uh, all the other wicked, perverse stuff that we all know about, yeah, it's going to happen. There's going to be a great, horrendous end-time earthquake that uh, shakes the whole earth, according to Revelation chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 19, I don't know, Zechariah 14, uh, many, many other places. But what are we commanded to do in the face of all of it? Now, I, I know some of you may believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. If you do, I respect that, you know, but I'm not operating on that premise. I don't really, I don't see that in, in Scripture. But I do see us uh, being told to pray for strength as we go through whatever we have to face in order to come through it in a way that causes us to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus. So I'm saying all of that to say, what's your prayer life like? Do you know how to pray? I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep and God bless this hamburger. I'm talking about do you know how to enter in with the Holy Spirit into a partnership of prayer where you are cooperating together with the Spirit in the birthing of the things God wants, not only for your life, but for your part of the world that you live in. Are you growing in your ability to pray? Do you rule in life by Christ Jesus? Well, I had a talk today with one of my kids who told me about a conflict he was in, and he went right into his room, got on his knees, and began to call on God in the midst of that conflict, and uh, was telling me about how the, the Lord gave him exactly what to do, how to speak to the person involved, what to do. It was very gratifying and very encouraging, but it was exactly what Paul's talking about when he said, we rule in life by Christ Jesus. And Re Re Revelation 1, 5 and 6, we are kings and priests. So our responsibility as we go through all this is not to get terrified. Paul's, uh, you know, Peter makes a reference to being terrified by nothing. And Peter was writing at a time when there was great persecution under Nero. But he said, be, be terrified by nothing. There's a way to grow in the things of the Spirit where you actually become, not overnight, but progressively you get to where you're terrified by nothing. And uh, so... In the next few days and weeks and months, Lord willing, we're going to examine more and more what ruling in life by Christ Jesus in prayer is about. You know, I've said for years, you can't learn to pray by getting taught about it. You only learn to pray by praying. Well, that, that's only true to a certain degree. I, I've learned how to pray from studying great men and women of God who knew how to pray and studying what they said about it. And most of all, studying what the scriptures say about it and learning how to weave those verses together in a way that paints a whole picture and gives you uh, a, a better understanding of it. You know, next, next week or next month is uh, our 20th wedding anniversary. It's our 20th anniversary of Nightlight. And uh, we birthed this ministry the same month that we were married. And uh, after 20 years of addressing many, many subjects from various angles of theology and philosophy and world events and so forth, I'm to the place now as we begin this next phase of our life together where I long to communicate to those who listen to us every month how to join together and be a kingdom of priests. I, you know, in some ways, nightlight is like a congregation. I mean, many of you know each other. Many of you don't know each other. Uh, this message goes into several different parts of the world beside the United States. But yet there's a, there's a brotherhood and a, and a closeness and a kinship uh, in, in the spirit 
between the men and women who are uh, part of this ministry and who have joined with us on a number of occasions to to uh, battle certain struggles in in uh, different parts of the world or to provide for uh, food or clothing or equipment for different missionary ministries or who have fought alongside me in spiritual battles over issues related to the government and uh, and so forth. Well, that's all been great, but I think we've got uh, more of our work cut out for us in those kinds of areas up ahead than we ever dreamed. And so I, I want to take more time in our teaching time every month to uncover and unpack some of these promises related to the power of corporate prayer. We don't have to be in the same building to enter into a unity of spirit that can move mountains. And uh, the prophetic events, they will come to pass as God sovereignly predestines them to do so. But the other issues that seem to be left up to our choice-making is dependent on our faithfulness in prayer. And so I want you to begin to think more and more in those terms. And as God helps me, I'll be able to unpack for you scripturally what that means. Thank you for listening. Thank you most of all for 20 years of partnership and love and support. God bless you all, and we'll talk to you, Lord willing, next time.